morning and welcome to Bite Size. My name is Yoni Pollock, and I'll be your host every Wednesday morning from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern right here at the Nachum Siegel Network. Folks, I don't even know why I'm doing the show right now because uh, you're talking to a guy who's $1.6 billion richer right now, who frankly... Doesn't necessarily need to be here. But I do it because I love the job. So I'm still here. Um, if you know anyone that's good with handling money, because it's certainly not me, I will be looking for some financial advisors. Maybe multiple. I can afford that now. Um, <clears throat> but I'm feeling pretty lucky. I'm feeling pretty good. And what I'm thinking about doing, my, my first investment with these, uh, I mean, my cash option, they told me when they called me late last night, they told me nine hundred four million dollars or one point six billion billion in in um, in what is it twenty nine thirty years whatever they said. I said, listen, I mean, I'm now like one of the most valuable people in the country. That's probably not even true, but whatever. I'm I'm pretty valuable. There's probably an X on my back, so let's just take all the cash now. And uh, so my first investment is going to be trying to buy all the I think it's two hundred ninety two million possibilities for tonight's Powerball. And just make a solid uh, chunk of change off of that. Now I'm really hoping no one else wins that, so that way, because if I, if you know if I end up splitting that lottery, it's going to be uh, a, a net loss for me. But I'm feeling pretty confident. I think they said at Friday night's Mega Million, 59% of the possibilities ended up being taken, and I think the expected number as of last night, and you know, uh, they didn't tell me when they when I won how many possibilities ended up being taken, but 75% I think was the expected number. So. Um, I'm going to test my luck with Powerball tonight. But one thing I find interesting about all this, um, the Mega Million Powerball hysteria, is what you see on social media the days leading up to it are two things. It's it's one like, oh, you know, the the whole $2 worth a dream, right? that whole shtick, fine, great. And, I, and I'm totally on that bandwagon, by the way. And usually my lottery philosophy is anything over $100 million, that's when I decide it's worth $2. Because $95 million won't change my life. But $100 million, that will change my life. Um, but number two, the, the big hysteria and what I see all over social media is that, you know, the articles of this is why you shouldn't buy a lottery ticket or this is why, um, you know, this is why people that buy lottery tickets end up bankrupt. And I'm just like, like, get out of here with this nonsense. I mean, I, you know, actually, frankly, come come at come out with more articles, please. So that way you have idiots out there that actually won't buy lottery tickets because of these articles. That increases my chances of, of not splitting. So I'm good with that. But these articles that are just like, don't buy a lottery ticket, you might be bankrupt. Wow. I mean, it's insane to me that people will actually listen to that. Because believe it or not, those people that probably bought lottery tickets and won lotteries in the past, whether it was $70 million, whether it was $10 million, whether it was $300 million, if they ended up bankrupt, it's not because they won the lottery. Let me tell you that. It's probably because they just don't know how to handle money. It, and it, And it's really, I mean... Who am I to talk about handling money? I, I don't have much of that. But nonetheless, I mean, these people that, that end up winning the lottery and end up becoming bankrupt, it's, it's just because they're dumb. They're stupid. They're idiots. What, whatever word you want to use. It's it's not because they won the lottery. Frankly, at some point over their next, whatever, 20, 30, 50 years after winning the lottery, they probably would have become bankrupt a different way if they hadn't won the lottery. It's, it's really that simple. So these articles that are coming out, um, it's clickbait for any any of you that know, you know, um, writing and blogging, whatever. There are articles out there called clickbait. They just want you to click on it. 
um, so they could get their money on ads. Go ahead, buy lottery tickets. I, I promise you, it, any of my listeners, I can almost guarantee you, if you win tonight's lottery, you will not become bankrupt. I know I'm not going to become bankrupt from winning last night's lottery, but you will not become bankrupt if you win the lottery because I have a a, a standard for my listeners, and I think they all of you um, fulfill that standard, and that's you have an IQ over like 60. So if your IQ is over 60, I tend to think that you will not end up bankrupt winning whatever what's tonight 640 million or whatever did they did they add to it i don't even know um but good luck go go buy lottery tickets i know there's this whole um philosophy when it comes to lotteries if you're gonna buy one ticket or if you're gonna buy you know 20 as as i look here i have one ticket and i i'm looking over at my uh my board over here and i see a few tickets with with multiple numbers but um, there are some that believe, hey, if I'm going to win the lottery, I'm going to buy it with one. I'm going to win it just with one set of numbers, one through, what is it? Well, last night's, I know, Mega Million is one through 70, and then the Mega Ball goes up to 25, I think. Yeah, so there are those that believe I'm going to buy one ticket. If I'm meant to win, I'm going to win it with one. And some say, hey, give me 20 chances, give me 10 chances, I'm going to take it. And the truth is I subscribe to both, <laughs> or maybe I subscribe to neither. Um, I definitely used to buy like five, ten you know, sets of tickets. Now I'm kind of just like I'm going to buy one. Um, neither philosophy worked for me in the past until last night. I, I'm still going to go on with the shtick, by the way, that I won the Mega Millions. So um, get used to it. I don't know how long it's going to last, but probably throughout the entirety of this show, and we'll see if it uh, makes it a week longer. But anyway, that's my lottery shtick for tonight. I should say today. And good luck for all of you playing in tonight's lottery. All right, let's talk about what's on for the next, uh, what is it now, about an hour and 50, uh, I don't know, four minutes left of the show. Um, Joanna Shepson will join the program at 9.30 as she interviews Chaim Wiesman from Aline. <clears throat> That'll be again at 9.30 a.m. Eastern. At 10 a.m. Eastern, it's Tova Connect with Miriam Lautner. Uh, you'll want to check that out again at top of hour number two. But what you're used to here is great music, the newer music. And like I've said um, in the past, just a reminder, I usually set my playlists on Tuesday, just the day before. It's a lot easier for me. It, it, it saves me time that way. Um, you know, as soon as I, as I get to the, the song right over here, you know, I could, I could work on other things. I'm not constantly switching songs throughout the show. I just set a playlist. It goes, um, until I jump back on air at nine thirty, at 10 and towards the end of the show. But, um, so if you have any song request suggestions, please email me on Tuesday beforehand, Yoni at AlchemSiegel.com. And I will certainly try to get it. Otherwise you can leave it in the comments now. And, uh, as I check the comments, I will hopefully remember to add it to the next week's playlist. But for now, Plenty of music, and we start things off with one thing and one thing only on Wednesday. Mahapecha Shel Simchan this Wednesday on Bite Size right here at the Nachum Siegel Network. Shamati Sheosim Pomesi Babiladai. אף אחד לא עושה את זה יותר טוב ממני, היי נשים את הצרות מאחוריי אני לא הולך עד שכולכם מג'נונים, היי שמעתי שהתחלתם בלעדיי אף אחד לא עושה את זה יותר טוב ממני, היי הראש כבר מסתובב כולם בהיי לא נעצור עד שכולכם מג'נונים
the world make over. Mashiach will come take over. You ain't gotta be me or see what I see. All you gotta do is take a look forward. Lift up your eye to the sky. Spread out your hands. Say thank you. Smile. Get them up. Put them up. Leave them up. Ha ha. Yep, yep. Pump up the value every day. Stand in place. Heart racing. No words to say. Pressure building. Trying to hold my face. Mind drifting like not today. Wake up from everything. Break out your shell and scream. Ha. Shim. You're the king. Ha. Shim. You're the king. Hashem Eleh, Hashem Alach, Hashem Imloch, Le'olam Va'em. Hashem Eleh, Hashem Alach, Hashem Imloch.
And we are back, bottom of hour number one here on Bite Size. Again, I am still $1.6 billion richer. I told you. The shtick would continue. I told you, I told you, I told you. You're not going to get away from this great joke. Um, I know you're all laughing, and that's why I'm going to stick with it, because when something's funny, if it ain't fixed, you don't break it. Nope, if it ain't broke, you don't fix it. Um, But anyway, bottom of the hour here, and it's time for Joanna Shepson's interview now with Chaim Wiesman from Aline. You'll want to check this out. Right here, right now. We're just going to get right to it on Bite Size. Joanna with Chaim at the Nachum Siegel Network. Thank you, Yoni. Today I'm sitting with Chaim Wiesman, and he's the director of special projects at Alin, at the Alin Hospital in Jerusalem. Um, there's a really exciting program going on next week, and he's going to tell us all about it. Hi, Chaim. How are you? Hi. How are you, Joanna? Good. So I, it looks like one of your most special, special projects is the bike ride that Alin is running next week. Tell us a little bit about it. Absolutely. Wheels of Love is definitely our flagship project. And uh, in about 48 hours, riders, uh, roughly 400 of them, will come from 16 different countries all over the world and check into the hospital, receive their rider kits, and uh, get ready to embark on an epic journey across the uh, south of the country and the last two days through the uh, Judean Hills. And uh, it consists of uh, of a strong variety of of, uh, different trail options. We have uh, off-road, on-road, on-road challenging, off-road challenging. We have a touring and a hiking route to accommodate people of of all different uh, levels and uh, and skills and and inclinations. So I think it's important that we let listeners know this isn't a bike race. It's not about winning a race, right? Absolutely not. This is it's not competitive. I mean, there are routes where, where obviously people like to push themselves a little more. But this is a, a peer to peer fundraising event. People really come out here to challenge their their themselves personally and to uh, to just do a, a mitzvah tikkun olam in, in its highest form to uh, to really contribute and, and really donate their dedication uh their vacation time on behalf of the children of Aline Hospital. And uh, fundraising is not easy. It's a bit of a grind. And pedaling up the, uh, you know, the daunting Israeli hills is also a bit of a grind. And uh, it brings people together in one of the most unique and remarkable ways that I've ever experienced. I love that. I read a comment that you wrote somewhere about how extreme sports really bonds people when they do things together, when they push their own limits. Absolutely. I, I've, uh, I've, I've been a competitive marathoner for over 20 years now, and I've trained hundreds of marathon runners. And it's remarkable how, how deep a bond you form with the people that you, uh, that you run with. I guess it, it, some of it has to do with waking up at 4 o'clock in the morning and doing extreme things and, and uh, you know, telling war stories and nursing sore muscles together. But uh, there's no question about it. Sports is, is a great bond, and extreme sports, multi-day events such as the Lean Bike Ride, are one of the greatest bonds. So you see people who have very little in common culturally, religiously, and so on. And by the and by the end of the ride, these people are all you know uniformly in love with each other. It's really a, a mm-hmm. remarkable transformation to watch. So I think before we find out more details about the ride, can you give us a little background about the Aline Pediatric Rehabilitation Hospital? What does it mean? What do they do here? So Aline is the only facility of its kind in Israel, I think in the Middle East, in fact. And uh, they treat people with congenital diseases and acquired diseases. So, for example, cerebral palsy, hemiplegia, which is uh, being paralysis on one side of the body, um, those in, in uh, spinal injuries, uh, spina bifida, and uh, all kinds of, of uh, congenital diseases that have very little mana, very little uh, facilities to treat in, in conventional uh, you know, pediatric facilities. In addition to that, there are all kinds of acquired diseases, cancer, and uh, burn victims, terrorist victims, those, uh, those which, generally speaking, devastate a person's uh, you know, physiological facilities um, are, are treated here in a very unique and very uh, forward-thinking way. 
And I think one of the really remarkable things about the way Aline treats people is that they defy all conventional wisdom. For example, conventional wisdom would suggest that a child with a particular disability is capable of achieving X degree of independence. At Aline, that conventional wisdom gets thrown out the window. And specifically by not telling the child that he's limited, they really aspire for the child to achieve maximum independence. And I've personally witnessed in my, in my many years here incredible miracles. I mean, really, where children who you thought would be uh, living lives of t utter dependence have, have achieved incredible, incredible degrees of independence. And in fact, one of the flagships of the, uh, of the ride is we showcase uh, children who've been treated at Aline. They're called the Swift and the Bold Riders. And these are children, all of whom were treated at Aline for some very devastating injuries and congenital conditions. And these children actually ride um, significant portions of this very challenging bike ride, some of them on tandem bikes, some of them independently. But uh, it's certainly an emotional highlight, and the riders all vie for the ability to, to ride alongside them because doing so is, is really nothing short of an inspiration. That's amazing. Yeah, I read about a girl named Chaya who's going to be riding. She often is found riding with her older sister, Yael, and she was encouraged to ride with her hand, a hand bike. And like she's now excelling in this field that she probably never would have thought was something she could do. Yeah, by the way, when you talk about excelling, Chaya can literally um, out, out, uh, outpace many, many competitive cyclists on a, on a significant hill. Um, in fact, the Israeli Olympian, Paz Bash, uh, last year, uh, rode with, with uh, Chaya and literally fell in love with her. And the two of them actually are partners and, and compete in, in quite a number of races together. So you, know, you, you could well imagine that, that Paz encountered many, many people with uh, special needs and so on and, uh, and found Chaya to be a very, you know, very special case. So uh, there's no question encountering these kids really results in, in uh, moving people to a very profound degree. And for those who are listening who may not understand the way the systems work in Israel, um, is this a hospital that's run by the, by the government? That's an excellent question. In fact, many people say, well, what do you need to fundraise at all? I mean, after all, this, is, uh, this should be a government hospital. Well, in fact, m most people are surprised to learn that Aline Hospital does not receive a single shekel of government money. The entire hospital is privately run. And the only remuneration that, that uh, the hospital receives is kupat cholim, reimbursement for treatments. But obviously, these treatments are not nearly adequate to, uh, to, for, to suffice for the intensive treatment these kids need. Second of all, kupat cholim will dictate, for example, that a child with a particular disability is entitled to X amount of physical therapy treatments a, uh, a week, for example. At Aline, it's a much more holistic approach, and therefore, many treatments that are not covered are still being given because at Aline, the first concern, obviously, is always the child. And therefore, if additional money is necessary to defray the cost of additional treatment, then Aline will find it. And that's exactly where this bike ride comes in. There's a huge, huge deficit, and the, uh, the, the money that's raised by this bike ride actually covers more than half the hospital's operating shortfall. Amazing. How much money did you raise last year, and what are your goals for this year? Last year, we did $2.9 and uh, we're just over $2.9 already. So our goal is to really hit $3.5 this year, which would be an all-time record. Um, the riders have been uh, incredible in terms of their, their enthusiasm and their drive to raise money. And uh, we feel like we're moving it to a whole new level. So we're very excited about the progress. And I think the riders are also excited. I, I hear people looking at the website every day to see what the progress is. And uh, it's incredible. There's a, there's a good natured competitiveness all the, on behalf of the charity. And that's uh, it's precisely uh, the space that we want to be in. So we're very gratified. I love that message. I think, you know, your your message of like the Kupat Cholim will pay for a certain level of 
rehabilitation, probably to bring that child up to a point where they can manage through life. And your goal at this hospital is to give them a certain level of independence. You're not looking to just give them quality of life, you know, at the minimum, you're looking to give them the maximum that they can get. And I really think in a lot of ways, I've seen that's an Israeli attitude, that is something really unique to Israel. And the the goal to give a child as much independence as possible, is something that's a unique um, cultural feeling that you get by raising your kids here in Israel. No question. Israel, first of all, is an incredibly child-centric society. And, and Aline, they really represent that ideal par excellence. I mean, the, the idea that there are no limits. And, uh, and again, the conventional wisdom gets thrown out the window in, in uh, this really uh, passionate quest to, uh, to uh, allow the child to achieve maximum independence. It's really a, a mantra here. And uh, you see it every day. The, the other thing I think is worth noting is that you know, the idea of coexistence, this elusive concept, is, uh, is a very real and palpable concept over here. In fact, the reason I started working in this facility is once I was recruited, I was sort of waffling about whether or not I would come to work here. And, and when I came to visit, I saw something which was really incredible. And uh, when I think about it even now, I, I, uh, you know, it really moves me. I saw this uh, Arab woman walking with uh, arm in arm, with their elbows locked, with uh, with a Jewish, with a Haredi woman, you know, with a you know tichel and the whole thing, and the Arab woman was wearing, uh, wearing uh, you know, of course, uh, the uh, traditional headdress, and in front of them, there there were their boys were work, were walking. This little Haredi boy with long peyote, he was pushing the Arab kid in a wheelchair, you know, and the and the Haredi kid was also walking with a limp. And I said to myself, where else would such a thing be possible? You know, we always talk about these these uh, idealistic pie in the sky ideas of coexistence, and here. It's a genuine, everyday experience, and and politics and religion and and uh, and ethnic uh, concerns, all of those go out the window as soon as you walk through that door. And I think that's really the magic of this place. And 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 by the way, that's reflected on the ride as well. People who have you know again massive cultural differences, who would probably not interact in any uh, in any fashion, uh, you know ordinarily, wind up forming these incredibly deep bonds on the ride. And I think it's a microcosm of what happens here in the hospital. That's beautiful. So the ride actually starts next Sunday, October 28th, and it goes on for five days. But um, people who are listening, you may not realize there's still ways that you can get involved. If you're listening out in the US or in England or outside of Israel, you can still sign up to make a donation to sponsor riders. And if you're here in Israel, you can come to any section of the ride. You could even join one of the rides for the day. Um, tell us a little bit about how what the process is and what someone needs to do. Okay, it's really simple. In addition to the 405 day riders, we have several hundred riders who ride for a single day. It's called Galgalin. And you can ride, normally it's on Thursday, and you get a, a taste of the magic of the ride because you'll join roughly 600 other riders in that torturous climb up uh, from the Tzomet Ein Karem into the hospital where the children will be waited with, with, with bated breath to drape medals around your neck. And it'll be one of the most emotional experiences in your life, I assure you. I lose it every single year, despite the fact that I've seen it many times. And uh, registration is real simple. Just go out to the leanactive.org website and sign up for Galgalin. It's, uh, it's relatively inexpensive. And uh, I assure you that not only will you have a great time, but it'll be a life-transforming experience for you. I also want to encourage people who aren't as active or aren't ready to, uh, haven't, you know, worked their way up to being ready to ride, um, but they want to come out and just 
cheer on everyone as they come into Aline. On Thursday next week at 11, starting from Enya L, the riders are going to be riding up towards Aline. But you can come. I would recommend taking a taxi. Parking is hard to find around here. Come and be at the hospital to help greet the riders as they come in. Like, just come as a spectator. Bring your children. I personally think it's even uh, an excuse to take your kids out of school. This is something that really teaches kids about real life, real encouragement to and, and how to really help and be part of a community. So um, thank you so much for talking to us. I'm really excited about this race. And uh, if anyone has a question for Chaim, wants to reach out to him directly, just send an email to Aline, A-L-Y-N, at funinjerusalem.com. And uh, he'd be happy to answer your questions. And we look forward to seeing you raise what you're, what you're hoping to raise and for everyone to have an amazing experience and to walk away from this, just increasing the awareness around the world for what Aline does for kids in Jerusalem. Thank you so, so much. I appreciate the interview and uh, encourage you all to get involved. All right, now back to you, Yoni. Thank you, Joanne, and thank you, Chaim Wiesman, again. He is the Director of Special Activities at Aline. And if you'd like to, uh, I mean, you, you, if you've been listening to the show, you know exactly what Joanna does, joannafunandjerusalem.com. If you are heading to Israel, if you, uh, what is it, October 24th, which means, by the way, that means I have a friend's birthday that I should probably be texting, and that's a good reminder, but um, October 24th. So if you are heading to uh, Israel over the next, let's say, yeshiva break, maybe Thanksgiving break, and you are looking for something to do on a random Wednesday night or maybe on a random Tuesday afternoon, and you need something fun to do, contact Joanna at funinjerusalem.com, Joanna at funinjerusalem.com for more. Tova will be on at 10 a.m. with Miriam Lautner, but for now, plenty of music right here on Bite Size at the Nachum Siegel Network. <laughs> לפעמים מרגישים שהחיים כל כך קשים מה יהיה עוד יום עד שנה אבל אני מחייך לא דואג להמשך כי יש לי, יש לי אמונה לפעמים מרגישים שהחיים כל כך קשים מה יהיה עוד יום עד שנה אבל אני מחייך לא דואג להמשך כי יש לי, יש לי אמונה Thank <laughs> you. 
יש אלוקים, והוא בורא עולם, הכוח של כולם, שומע את קולי. ישלח לי את הנס, ישלח לי את הנס של
And we are back, top of hour number two, and it's time for Tova's interview with Miriam Lautner right here, right now on Bite Size at the Nachum Siegel Network. Thank you, Yoni. I am so excited to be in the middle of Yerushalayim, in my like stopping grounds of Machin Yehuda, sitting here right after dinner at Crave Restaurant with none other than the most talented woman in all of Israel, I think. Maybe all over <laughs> no. the world. Miriam Lautner is here with me. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so honored and glad to be here. So, Miriam, you have an incredible story. Uh, we're going to get into your invention. You're the creator of Reveal Cards. Of, by Curious? Right. With a reveal, Q. Yeah, reveal cards and we made Curious. <laughs> so we're going to talk all about that. But before we get into all of that, you are an Ola, but you've been here for many years. I am an Ola. I've been here since 1994. I came out on the app by myself, actually, after my freshman year in Stern. Um, I didn't love Stern, I'm going to be honest. And so the best thing for me was essentially come to Israel, learn, and make Aliyah, apparently, I thought. So I came by myself at the age of 19. I think I had about $300 to my name. Wow. Uh, maybe a little more, maybe a little less. And I immediately... That was the exchange rate back then. <laughs> yeah, the exchange rate. I think it was actually the same as it is today, <laughs> magically. No, I think it was like 3.2, 3.3. So, yeah, basically about what it was last year. Um, okay. Although things were obviously cheaper. There's been a slight uh, increase in the in the cost of living. Um, I immediately started working. So I, I never went to Olpan. I like to... Um, or my coworkers actually joke that my Hebrew is basically from the streets. So I speak like a, a taxi driver. Um <laughs> But I immediately started working for Asia Torah, actually. Oh, I was the um, I was one of the coordinators of the Jerusalem Fellowships and then eventually ended up running a few of the women's programs. But the funny part about that is that the participants on the fellowships are usually college graduates, or back in the day they were, and I had just dropped out of Stern. So here I was, um, a college dropout, <laughs> running programs for kids that were college graduates. So that was a little bit ironic, um, but it was a That's really funny. great experience. And at the same time, I also had a photography studio here and was um, very much a part of the Jerusalem single scene in Katamon. And um, yeah, it was, the, I mean, those were hard years. I'm not going to lie. You know, there were a lot of uh, Pigawim. There were a lot of um, terror attacks in Jerusalem. A number of times I missed the 18 bus going different places and it exploded. Um, oh my God. Uh, I lost friends. I, um, what it just, it was hard. It was hard to be here then. Um, and it was very much a hand to mouth kind of living experience, but you stuck it out. I stuck it out. Cause usually if I say, I mean, not usually, but if I say something, then that's the way it's going to be. Meaning I had committed to making Aliyah. You're going to prove it to yourself. And so I needed to prove it to myself and to my family. Well, um, I, I wasn't, I didn't have any support from my parents or my grandparents or anyone else. And so, you know, there were weeks I used to make decisions like, am I buying cottage cheese or am I calling my parents? I don't know if anyone still remembers the days when it was like $5 a minute to call outside of Israel, yeah, but well. it was very expensive and, um, it was a hard life. It was a hard decision. And I, I, I committed to it. So I was committed to it. And wow. that's sort of, um, you know, that, that determination and that, um, drive that drive has stuck with me always. Well, I only, you know, came on the scene in Israel three years ago and right away your name was out there. Everybody knows Mary Lautner. You have such a name for yourself. So coming from where I guess, you know, I guess that drive and determination really got you to where you are today with a lot of the obstacles in the middle. Uh, it, de it very much did. I think, um, I did make a decision. I left Israel for, 
about two and a half years in the end, I wanted to go back to Stern and finish my degree because again, I committed to something and I wanted to finish it. Okay. So I had to, you know, get together the money. I took a job. I was working full time. I was going to UCLA in LA for a while so I could save up the money to go back to Stern. I went back to Stern for one year. I finished my degree. Um, although they lost my transcript. So officially it oh, says, no. officially it says that I graduated in 2002, although I started Stern in 1992. Oh. So it was like a 10 year BA, although it's really only because my transcripts got lost somehow for nearly uh, yeah. eight years, but or oh, wow. seven, seven years, something like that. Wow. Um, but that's fine. I don't mind. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I, I came back and I, um, I was, Already when I was in New York, when I was in Stern, I was working full time to pay for Stern. And so I had started to get into the technology behind retail uh -huh. and it really fascinated me and interested me. So I ended up taking a job, um, as a marketing manager for a startup. This is like 1998, sort of like the beginning of, not really the beginning of, of startup nation. Um, but definitely the beginning of startup nation in Israel, there were a few, Jerusalem-based startups like Super Studio, uh, Super Studio and a few others that are, you know, well-known um, for us old-timers that were here, like, back, you know, before the internet boom of, of uh, bubble of 2000. Um, uh -huh. So I spent time in that ecosystem, and that was also filled with, you know, people had no money, startups had no funding, Jerusalem was a desert, it was just a wasteland of, oh of technology, uh -huh. and... I met, you know, I formed friendships and I, I met people and I, I worked really hard. I think at that point, you know, I must've probably had three jobs, side jobs, this job, whatever. And I made it work. And eventually, um, I met my husband and, um, he and his, uh, I, with my father-in-law, we ended up buying a business, which was a technical writing business. So I got more into the tech side uh -huh. rather than the marketing and the sales side. And that sort of ended up, I think in some ways being the making of me, um, I ended up employing tons of Olim and, and Tektav, the name of the company um, that we had bought together, ended up being the largest technical writing company in Israel. And over the 13 years that I ran it, we employed, you know, probably, I, I don't think I ever actually counted the numbers, but probably more than 200 technical writers. And so, and I hired so many and I trained so many and I interacted with so many Olim that it gave me a really good sense of, you know, what was going on in the ecosystem. And we worked for more than a thousand companies. So oh, wow. I was able to, as this American Ola who originally, <laughs> you know, dropped out of college, work with some of the biggest names in startup nation. And it was amazing. I mean, it was just, it was like an opportunity an that you can only dream about. And, wow. and that came from, again, that's, you know, going back to that determination. And I like to tell this story to people that are like, it's impossible to make it in Israel. You have to have protexia or you have to have a connection or, you know, you have to be married to an Israeli, which I am, but that's not where that connection <laughs> came from. Okay. Um, so at the very beginning, when we bought Tektav, we weren't the biggest technical writing company by far. And there were a lot of, there was a lot of competition in the market and it was actually, um, I, we had bought the company and then the, the, the explosion of 2001 happened and the market was just, I mean, it was reeling. Like there were no jobs, there were no contracts. It was really difficult. <coughs> Excuse me. And I had committed to never laying somebody off. Like I said, I will work harder. I will make phone calls. I will cold call. I will go to offices. I will, you know, beg and steal and whatever, not steal, but <laughs> I will beg and do whatever I have to do to make sure that my people stay employed. Yeah. And so, um, we got this phone call from a guy named your And he said, so is this, um, you know, tech job? And I said, yes. And he said, I have a crazy 
job for you. And I was like, all right, well, crazy is my middle name. So let's hear it. So he said, I've called six other companies and they've all said it was impossible. So I'm trying you. I thought, wow, that's a really bad intro to the story. Yeah. And he said, I need, you know, X, Y, Z, and it has to be done in 72 hours. And I knew what it was and I knew that we could theoretically do it, but doing it in 72 hours was essentially cutting like three months off of the project timeline. Uh -huh. And I thought, okay, if I put three of my best people on it and we work, no, I said, no, forget three people. We need six people. We have to work through the night in shifts. And I had this whole plan in my head. He's like, well, what do you think? And so I explained to him my plan. And he said, you just came up with that now. And I said, well, it's not like I had, you know, more time. I, I had no, I didn't have any more time to think about this plan, right? Than the time you've given me. Yeah. So he said, okay, let's try it. You know, come into my office. I, I came in, I got all the information. I started calling people. Um, was this pre-cell phone even? No, maybe we had cell phones. I can't even remember at this point, but like, you know, certainly not smartphones and I didn't have ways and I'm, you know, getting lost in to the specific building in Romagana, I remember. And there was no parking, whatever, it doesn't matter. Okay, anyway, so we worked yeah. on this project for 72 straight hours, oh six my of my God. top writers. I think it's, I probably cried probably six or seven times wow. throughout these 72 hours. I didn't sleep. I barely ate, we just, we were focused on this project. I met him at the airport, okay? And back in the day, you had to actually physically print these these booklets that were going. It was a it was a chip document. So it was like 1,475 pins, I still remember. And at the time, it was like, you know, absolutely leading tech. And he was going to raise money in the States. So I met him at the airport with the bag of these documents, okay? So he could go and raise money based on this documentation to the States. He called me, we raised the money. And he said, give me 500 business cards. And I was like, 500? What the heck are you going to do with 500 of my business cards? He said, oh, actually, I'm a commander in the army and Milouin, um, whatever. I'm going to give them out to every single person that I meet and tell them they have to work with you. He said, everybody else told me it was impossible. You told me it wasn't impossible. Let me try. Wow. That's the kind of attitude that you need in Startup Nation. And he made my business. I would get phone calls for years afterwards. Is this Miriam with the hat? Hey, is this Miriam with the hat? I got your number from your own. Is this Miriam with the hat? I'm not even kidding. My phone would ring and, you know, it'd be like, I, I know it's somebody calling. I wouldn't recognize the number. They're looking for Miriam with the hat. And that is, he, he literally, he made my he business. Made well, yeah, but you, and so, so I like to say that you, he gave, right. Yeah. You did it. It was you, your determination, you know, like you could have said, no, you could have said it's impossible, but you didn't, you really stepped up and you proved yourself. So he right. gave you that well, opportunity. I like to think that I proved all of my writers too, right? I mean, I proved their capabilities and I proved that we could do it. And I think that that... Are you still in touch with all of those writers? I, I am. I, I've, I've kept in touch with almost everybody, I think. Um, Facebook has obviously made that a lot easier, but... Yeah. And at the time, you know, it was a really wonderful thing for people to, um, they would place me at the family tables at their weddings. <sighs> you know, it was many times I would hire people that couldn't get full-time in-house jobs, whether it was because they were ultra Orthodox, um, looked strange, were slightly autistic, whatever it was like, you know, some of them had, had eight kids. Mm -hmm. Um, it's hard to find a full-time job in that, yeah, in, in that, that in, in, in that world. So um, especially when Thai tech was, you know, for the most part, Tel Aviv and Herzliya, and they didn't really have an understanding of ultra Orthodox Jews that made Aliyah yeah. and why they would want to come here. And they might've had a, you know, experience at Bell Labs or a degree from, you know, UPenn, but that doesn't mean much to somebody from Tel Aviv. They're right. like, did they go to Harvard? No. Okay. So then I've never heard of it. Um, exactly. and so, although for us, you know, going to UPenn and having an engineering degree, that means something here in Tel Aviv, it really doesn't mean anything, right? right? If it's not... Um, if it's not Harvard or Stanford, like they kind of haven't heard of it. So anyway, um, so I, 
they used to seat me at the family tables and their, their kids would like write me these beautiful thank you notes of, you know, nobody ever worked harder for my parents' Parnassa or nobody ever, you know, until then made sure that my mom had, um, you know, Parnassa and could put food on the table. And so that, that really motivated me. I had a lot of single parents. I had a lot of divorced parents. I had a lot of people for whom these jobs meant the difference between wow. making it and not making it. And that, that, that's what it's about to me, you know? I mean, they were totally capable. They were completely qualified, but they just needed somebody to give them a chance. Wow. Okay, so Miriam, you said you have a you have a full-time job, but I'm sure people also know you as the inventor of these reveal cards, the Curious, the Curious Games. Mm-hmm. Um, they are an Amazon hit, right? Like top of the line, uh, bestsellers for all holidays. Not just, not Jewish, everybody, the whole world is Correct. buying your games. Tell me, where did it come from? Where was the, where did the idea come from? And it, it's just blowing up. There's like, yeah, it's pretty exciting actually. So I, as we talked about before, I do have a full-time job. I work in tech. Um, I love my job and it fulfills a, you know, a part of me that I, I love and I definitely don't want to leave. And at the same time, I love games and I love playing games with my kids on Shabbos. And so curious is really an expression of that. It's an expression of realizing that even as we get more technological and things become more screen oriented, I wanted to be able to give parents a method for using non-traditional, non-tech to interact with their children and to connect with their kids. And so this idea came for essentially, um, edutainment, which is for me, it's the idea of, um, you know, your kids should come out knowing something that they didn't know before they started playing. And at the same time, having an experience of playing with you. So it doesn't have to be parent child. It can obviously be between two kids, but I want it to be about subjects that people are interested in. So I started with reveal, which is a four in one card game about 72 different places in Israel. Mm-hmm. And the photography is all original. Most of it is mine. I traveled to all those places. I know. I love I it. Did the on trivia. the cards, it says photographer, like right. you know, photo by Miriam Lana. Right. Or the other photographers like Laura Ben David yes. and Sharon and other people that contributed, which I'm so grateful for, for a few of the spots that I couldn't get to. But the idea was to teach people about different places in Israel, give them ideas for, for Tulim, and also to give them a little bit of history. So um, for each location, you have two different ways that you can learn about um, the location and some history or fun facts or um, science facts and other things. So and it's not just religious sites, it's cultural sites, it's historical sites of significance, etc. So that's a really fun game. And then I translated into Hebrew because the Israelis were like, well, that's, this is great, but we can't play it in English. Um, so there's Reveal Israel in English, and then there's Reveal Israel in Hebrew. And those are sold at gift stores and at museums all over the country. Then I decided I wanted to make a Jewish Life and Holidays game for younger kids slightly because Reveal, although it can be played by younger kids because it's four games in one, mm-hmm. um, it, it's generally, it's like, you know, eight and up, um, type of game. And mm-hmm. I wanted to make a, a really a game for younger kids that had girls in it because all of the card games that I saw Jewish card games were excluding girls and it drove me banana, banana crazy. Yeah. So I had this game called reveal high, um, made, which is Jewish life and holidays and has girls. Amazing. There's Jewish girls in Jewish life. Wow, it's it's mind-boggling, I know, but I it's really important to me that girls see themselves in Jewish life because otherwise as if, positive role models. Exactly. If the card games only have boys, well, then, you know, what message does that send them as they grow up? Yeah, there's no place for you here. Right. What what? Like that doesn't even make any sense. It's so illogical. So, and especially because they're anim- you know, their their characters they're just cartoon, they're cartoon characters right. and even that was 
was voted to be a sore in many communities. And I wasn't, I, I, they weren't, you know, the stores wouldn't take them. They said, oh no, God forbid, people should see. You know, I have girls with red hair and I have girls with blonde hair and they're completely modestly dressed. But a red haired girl on the, on the box of Reveal High, apparently red hair is like a sore within itself. So, um, just the color red. Exactly. So, but what, there, you know, there are plenty of Jewish girls that have red hair. Should they never see themselves? Should it only be Sephardi? Should it only be what? So there are Sephardi boys and white boys and yes. blonde hair and red hair and kids with glasses. And the final point about Reveal High, which is really important to me, there's a child in a wheelchair and there's a girl with a, a crutch because you know what? There are disabled Jewish kids too. And why shouldn't they find themselves in a game? Right. Why shouldn't they be represented? And so these are ideas that I'm passionate about. I think that the way that we portray Judaism visually is just as important as how we talk about it. So you can give lip service to an idea, but if in practice, the games that you have are all, you know, white boys that are eight years old. Hello. Like, the, you know, where do all the other kids fall into that? Right. Wow. So that's a real high. You are in Ola. You do live in Israel. You live in the South of Israel. You love coming to Yerushalayim. Is there one place in Israel that you could call your Israel happy place? Wow, that's such a good question. Um, I have a lot of happy places actually in Israel, and this one is probably going to surprise you. But in the south, as basically as far south as you could go, in the coral reef in Eilat, if you dive down about 10 feet and you free dive, which I love to do, which means like you hold your breath and you just kind of stay at a steady pace, that's my happy place. And I can do that for six or seven hours, like continuously just free dive down and stay and free dive down and stay. That is my happy place because one, like I absolutely see the wonder that Hashem created for us and the coral reefs around the rest of the world are far away for the most part from the, from the shore. Like mm -hmm. you can't get to them unless you take a boat or you go somewhere, or you yeah. die. But in Israel, like Hashem gave them to us literally right here. Like you walk off the, I mean, you, you, you basically hit them, right? When there's water on your ankles, you've hit coral. Yeah. That's amazing. And I feel like it's not just by accident that Hashem made them so close that we could see them and see that like wondrous, amazing thing. And appreciate it. And appreciate it right there. Wow. Um, and I also, when I'm there, I see families together, like experiencing Israel and, um, you know, the, the mitzvah that you have to teach your children to swim. I take that very seriously and I think it's important and you see it there in a lot. For me, that's my happy place. Although that seems like it would not be my happy place. I have so many others, but, but I, it's hard to pick. It's hard it's, to pick. It's really hard to pick, but that's why it's really because I feel like Hashem's like the total majesty of Hashem's creations is, is just like all around you. It's true. In a very small country, you have every type of natural wonder, right? It's amazing. And the last time I went to a lot with my kids, we actually saw a sea turtle in the wild <clears throat> swimming under us. Wow. And I'm telling you, we, I, like, I couldn't stop smiling. So I kept getting water. I had a snorkel <laughs> mask. I couldn't, I literally, I couldn't stop smiling. So I kept having to go up and get the water out of my mask. I was so happy. It's, you know, as a, as somebody that loves the sea, to see a sea turtle in the wild in a lot is like a once in a lifetime activity. There are not many sea turtles. Wow. And so it was, it was magical. It was absolutely magical for me. That's incredible. Miriam, this was amazing. Really continued success. I mean, thanks to you as well. And, uh, that's it. Thank you everybody for listening. Back to you, Yoni.
Thank you, Tova, and thank you, Miriam Lautner. Uh, Tova in Israel, you could find her at tovanisrael.com, Tova in Israel on Facebook. We wished her last week. We'll continue to wish her a big mazel tov on her engagement and her upcoming marriage coming up uh, in just a few months. She did tell me when I when I put it out there, I said, Tova, are you going to be able to um, continue your Tova talks? You know, everything's getting... And if you follow her on Instagram, by the way, and, and Facebook, you, you could see as she gets ready for her big wedding day, um, everything that goes into it, all the planning, everything she's been going through, um, you know, with the w- wedding dress and the, you know, I don't really know what goes into a wedding, but everything that goes into a wedding. Um, so, so it gets hectic. So I asked her if she's going to continue. And she said, of course, uh, it's in her schedule along with her shook tours, tovanisrael.com, Tovan Israel on Facebook to continue checking out everything that, um, she puts out there. Um, and it's uh, it really is it's it's phenomenal content it's good to you know everything she's uh their shook tours they're, they're fun and, and engaging and then you see um just the random things and the going abouts living in israel so it's really cool tova in israel dot com tova in israel on facebook and again a big mazel tov to her more coming up here on bite size plenty of music and we'll wrap things up uh before we get to the live lunch uh, just a uh, a little housekeeping note here on bite size um, next week we will be doing an hour-long show and um, you'll know more why. I mean, basically, we're doing an, an extended jam the AM next week, next Wednesday. So this show will only be an hour next week. But I'll give you more details about that um, next week, I guess, when, when you when you log in at 10 a.m. to uh, to hear. Anyway, uh, plenty more music coming up, and we'll wrap things up, like I said, before of Rummy's Wednesday live lunch. More music right here on Bite Size at the Nachum Siegel Network. Ah, ah, ah. 
מתפללים ומחכים למשיח רק יגיע קשת כולנו חברים כולנו מתפללים ומחכים למשיח כבר רוצה להגיע מחכה לחברים
נקי, הכל כתוב מלמעלה, אז תנסה. סמוך על הבורא, הכל יכול. יש תנועה בדרך אל העבודה, אתה צולע אחר אל הפגישה, ואולי מרגיש שכל יום כמו מרוץ פה. גם גם אם אתה קצת מתוסכל, ונראה לך שזהו המזל, תח בשם ותאמין בו. דספסיטו, קח את החיים שלך ודספסיטו, כל דבר בזמן שלא יבוא גרידו, לכל הכבוד זה טוב רק תאמין בו. דספסיטו, קח את החיים שלך ודספסיטו, כל דבר בזמן שלא יבוא גרידו, לכל הכבוד זה טוב ותאמין בו. שלא יבוא גרידו, לכל הכבוד הטוב אתה תאמין בו. דספסיטו, קח את החיים שלך ודספסיטו, כל דבר בזמן שלא יבוא גרידו, לכל הכבוד הטוב אתה תאמין בו. ואז פתאום תראה שלעבוד מלחצים אפשר ללמוד, הכל יהיה פשוט מאוד, אחרת איך אפשר לשרוד את החיים שלך, תתחיל לקחת הגלות. מה זה כסף אך בלי יושר אין לו משמעות עצור לחשוב לפני שתאחר את הרכבת הילדים גודלים ומה נשאר רק המזכרת תגיד להם איזו מילה טובה ותחבק יש רגעים שבשבילם תתנתק ניסית ניסית שלא עשית את הכל רצית בנית בנית ומה שלא ראית איך שהזמן עובר כאן ולא יחזור שוב לאחור לחייך אם אתה מרגיש שאתה כל הזמן רוצה להספיק הכל פשוט תזכור דספסיטו את החיים שלך ודספסיטו כל דבר בזמן שלא יבוא גרידו לכל הכבוד זה טוב ותאמין בו דספסיטו את החיים שלך ודספסיטו כל דבר בזמן שלא יבוא גרידו לכל הכבוד זה טוב ותאמין בו דספסיטו חדשות בעל מלחומויס, זוירי הצדוקויס, מצמיח ישועויס, עושה חדשות בעל מלחומויס, זוירי הצדוקויס, מצמיח ישועויס,
things up here on Bite Size. No segment that has no name. Hopefully, hopefully, hopefully that returns in the coming weeks. No promises, though. Avrami's Wednesday live lunch coming up in just a few seconds. That'll do it. Thank you all for tuning in for the last two hours here. My name is Yoni Pollock. Wishing you all a good day. Good luck on Powerball. And a reminder that the Bite Size is always, always, always the right size.